The Enneacast is sponsored in part by Your Enneagram Coach. Did you know you can learn how to walk people through the Enneagram and see their lives transform? All from the comfort of your own home while also making an excellent income. Find out how by going to yourenneagramcoach.com slash BEC. There you can become a certified coach and help others discover just who it is God made them to be. Again, that's yourenneagramcoach.com slash BEC. I remember I was actually journaling about this a couple a uh, couple months ago where I said, I remember sitting in the corner with tears in my eyes, confused. Like for me, growing up, the punishments were always clear, but, but what wasn't always clear was why I'm wrong again. This is a show about self-discovery. About understanding ourselves. About looking into the mirror to see the good. The bad. And the unknown of who we are. This is about how we relate to God. And everyone else. From Love Thy Neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Enneacast. Hey, welcome to the Enneacast. I am Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. Every episode, we walk you through the Enneagram, and this season is all about story. And today, we come to the end of the gut triad and the end of the types episodes with the story of type one, commonly known as... The reformer. The perfectionist. The good person. Yeah. Whatever you want to call them. Yeah. Okay, so all of our type episodes will be expounding on the content found in our workbook, Mapping Your Enneagram Story. So if you haven't yet listened to episode one from this season that walks you through this workbook and how to use it, I encourage you to do that first. Right. And to get a copy of the Mapping Your Enneagram Story workbook, head over to mappingyourstory.com. You can listen to this season without it, but it's really going to make the content come alive, make it personalized for you in a way that listening alone just can't. So again, I encourage you, head over to mappingyourstory.com. All right, Sam, so before we dive in, let's do a quick refresher for everybody. So type one, when they're healthy, these folks are honest, they're ethical, they're hardworking, they strive to overcome adversity, they're intense, they're comfortable, and they are dedicated to practical action. And when they're unhealthy, they can tend to become overly critical. They often make others feel judged. They're very strict on themselves. They can be rigid, know-it-alls, preachy, and they're not very adaptable. So this season, we're looking at how the Enneagram plus life story equals clarity. And we really need both our Enneagram and our life story to have a full picture and to have clarity. So let's explore the story for type one. So Sam, where does that story start? Yeah, it starts in childhood. Oftentimes, ones report childhoods that were themes of criticism and conditional love. And so they either had an overbearing parent that was very black and white, right and wrong, They were loved for what they did. So it was similar to a three story with the performance base, but it's more about morality and more about choices and more about right and wrong. Compliance was a big deal in these sorts of homes. We often see military families and pastoral families produce a lot of one children. So, yeah, criticism and conditional love were big themes for the one. So if you have a copy of Mapping Your Enneagram Story, look through the life turns that you mapped. Take note if you see this theme of criticism or conditional love appear in any of the life turns that you mapped. So this experience leaves the child one with an unconscious childhood message that it's not okay to be wrong or to make mistakes. 
Yeah, because if they are wrong or if they make mistakes, they're going to be punished Mm -hmm. or, you know, some relationship that they needed in life is either going to withdraw from them or it's going to lash out at them. And so for the child one making mistakes, the consequences just felt really high for them. Right. And so that leaves them wanting something good, which is to have integrity. They want to be known as somebody that does the right thing. They want to be known as somebody who can make tough calls under pressure. So they, you know, integrity is not a bad thing. It's a great virtue. But for the one, it's something that they hold on to so tightly that it leads to some negative consequences. Yeah. All this stuff in childhood creates a backstory. And this backstory sets the stage for the nurturing of our false self. And this really starts when the one begins to settle. We're all prone to settle for substitutes. And for the one, the good thing that they want is to have integrity. But instead, what they settle for is perfection. And perfection is this idea that everything, me, you, the world, everything should be perfect. And it becomes a world filled with oughts and shoulds, uh, where everybody and everything should be as it's supposed to be. Perfection promises them that no one can criticize them. If they could just be perfect, they could finally be above not just the criticism of other people, they'd be above their own criticism. They could finally escape from that inner critic that tears them down. And because the one begins to believe that perfection will give them what they want, perfection becomes an idol. So the one will easily devote themselves to being perfect and even being willing to go to great lengths for it. And in fact, they begin to sacrifice three good things in order to please this idol of perfection. What are those three things? So the first thing that they sacrifice is fun, enjoyment, and spontaneity. Like all the Enneagram 7s just rolled over and died. Uh, (laughs) Because those things are a distraction from me growing and changing and fulfilling my duties. Those things are a distraction from me reforming myself and reforming the world around me. I don't have time for those things. Like there are more serious things to tend to. There's a lot of gray and spontaneity, whereas the one wants to operate in a world of black and white. Yeah. Uh, Second, they have to sacrifice their own desires and wants because it doesn't matter what I want. It only matters what's right. And then, of course, in the Christian world, we say what I want doesn't matter. Only what Jesus wants matters. Well, Jesus actually cares about what we want, too. But the one has to sacrifice that to perfectionism. The third thing that they have to sacrifice to perfectionism is both giving and receiving grace. It is very hard to give grace to other people when you're just so frustrated that they keep screwing up all the time, that you're just so frustrated that they keep making mistakes. And it's hard to receive grace because we get oriented just around but you should be perfect and I should be perfect. And grace is slowing us down from that pursuit of perfection. So in this pursuit of perfection and this cycle of sacrificing to this idol, the one creates the perfect conditions to grow their deadly sin. And for the one, their deadly sin is anger. And we all experience anger to some degree, and we're not necessarily saying that anger is inherently evil. But for the one, it's acute, it's often unrighteous, and it's it's very controlling and it's dangerous to themselves and to others. So it's And it can manifest too, it can manifest frequently this anger as resentment. There can be sort yeah. of a percolating resentment that sits under the surface of life all the time. I'm just I'm very, very frustrated routinely with myself, the world around me, nothing is as it's supposed to be. And so it's an anger 
over everything being less than it's supposed to be. So here's some of the ways that the one can grow their anger in pursuit of perfection. They do that through criticizing themselves and others. So to Jesse's point, they have a strong inner critic and nothing they do is is ever going to be good enough. They do this through living by the musts, oughts, and shoulds, you know, doing things the right way. Everything is very black and white. They do this through good deeds. To Jesse's point earlier, if I can be perfect, then no one can criticize me. So let me just perform all of these good deeds. And they do this through being in control. Ones often set themselves up in a way that allows them to be in control of most, if not all, of their life. And so um, that's another way to kind of breathe that anger that they feel kind of boiling inside. Again, if you have mapping your Enneagram story, take a look at your emotional map and notice some of your dominant emotions. Where do you see anger at play? And if you're like, well, I'm not really an angry person, I would encourage you to do some more work because often our anger is growing unnoticed to us. And that's because sin is adaptable and it learns how to defend itself. And the one's defense of their sin is through their psychological defense mechanism known as reaction formation. Individuals do the opposite of their true instincts. I really want to do X, so I better do Y instead. And when type ones experience what they deem as, quote, you know, unacceptable feelings or desires, reaction formation concedes to their inner critic. And in turn, that dictates what is acceptable, and they determine whatever is acceptable according to social morals, contextual expectations, moral principles. And so reaction formation, in short, tells them whatever it is that you personally want to do, do the opposite of that because it doesn't fit their oughts or shoulds categories. Right. And it's called a deadly sin for a reason. Anger is destructive, but it tries to disguise itself as something good or helpful. And so the inner mantra that the one can end up living with is your failure and my failure to live up to the standard justifies my anger. Yeah. Like the the world is just such a disappointing place. I'm not living like I'm supposed to. You're not living like you're supposed to. Mm-hmm. And I'm really, really frustrated about that. Yeah, people that. who aren't angry aren't paying attention. Yeah. That's kind of how the one thinks. Yep. Okay, so where does this leave the one? It leaves them feeling critical and being critical. It leaves them guilty and it leaves them controlling. So it started as something good, that good desire to have integrity has now become broken and has taken a dark and a deadly turn. So all of this is bad news, but the good news is that God doesn't leave us here. For every person, there's a moment in our story when we encounter Jesus. And in Jesus, here's what we see. One's in Jesus, we see the true reformer. Sam, how do we see the true reformer in Jesus? Yeah, I think of examples um, where he's teaching. Um, anytime he's you know presenting you know messages of the kingdom, he's doing so in a righteous way. I see it through his tolerance and I see it through his patience. You know, he was really patient with the disciples, especially through all of their questions and through all of their, you know, curiosities that he, you know, he, they didn't understand what he was saying half the time, but he was very patient with them. He was not quick to judge or quick to criticize. Yeah. You know, in order for anyone to gain our trust, they have to give us two things. First, they have to give us empathy. And the second thing they have to give us is they have to show us their authority. And Jesus gives us both empathy and authority. Ones, here's how Jesus empathizes with your wounds. Jesus was criticized and the love people gave him was conditional. Ones that resonates with your own wound that you've experienced in life and the guilt that you struggle with. Jesus's wounds resonate with your wounds. He empathizes with you. He also shows his true authority by affirming our true self. In Matthew 5, we see that he says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. So he's affirming that desire for perfection 
in the ones. But he also confronts the false self. In John 8, we see that he says, then neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. Yeah. So you see this incredible mercy that he shows. So he's upholding like, hey, live rightly. But at the same time, I'm not going to condemn you. Mm -hmm. And that's an incredible balance that's, uh, that's truly remarkable. So the question is like, how did Jesus do this? How is it that Jesus could uphold goodness? He could uphold tolerance. He could uphold morality. And then at the same time, he never succumbed to the deadly sin of anger. How is that possible? And I believe that it's possible because he believed the father who told him, you are good just the way you are. And once, here's the incredible thing. Jesus then turns to you and he says to you, I have made you good just as you are. By Jesus's death and his resurrection, he has made you good by his own blood just as you are. You don't have to labor for it. You don't have to do something to become good. Because of him, because of who he is, you are already good. Matthew 11 says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And out of believing this message that Jesus speaks to us, we start to see the redemption of our true self. The Holy Spirit is able to work into the one what they originally wanted, to have integrity. And one of the ways he often does this is through the virtue of patience. And another way to think of patience is long-suffering. It's not being short-tempered. It's not being you know quick to criticize or quick to judge. It's the ability to endure with one another. And patience really does require trust. But the amazing thing is, is that their anger is transformed from sort of being this pushiness that's like always saying more, more, more. It's never good enough into sort of this... It's a righteous indignation towards evil, but at the same time, it's a patience towards the reality that God will fulfill what he begins. Mm -hmm. Like, it's going to come to completion, and I can trust him and wait on him to bring those things to completion. And so instead of growing the deadly sin of anger, this virtue of patience grows something else, and what it grows is grace. Grace to be able to give to other people, grace to be able to receive from God and from other people. Patience allows you to experience, you know, perhaps the most Christian doctrine that exists, the doctrine of grace, like that, that speaks to the reality that, that we need more than what we are truly owed. Again, refer to mapping your Enneagram story timeline here. Do you see patience growing through any of your turns? It's okay if you don't yet, you know, virtues, they take time to grow. So ask the Holy Spirit to help grow patience in you. And if you do see it, then praise the Lord because he's redeeming your story and making you more complete in him. And as the one continues to walk with God and be transformed, instead of reflecting a critical and rigid spirit, their true self ends up reflecting God's character. And ones, here's what you reflect about God to the world. You reflect God's goodness and you reflect God's rightness. And this story isn't just an invitation for ones. There's an invitation for all of us here, and that is to live for a higher purpose. Well, that is the Enneagram story for type ones. When we come back, we will be talking with special guest, professor and author Shane Wood. Stay with us. The Enneacast is brought to you by Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood offers social justice internships supported by Christian community for young adults. Like Kirsten Craig from Florida. I'm somebody who really hates any sort of conflict, but during my time with LTN, it's really encouraged to fight towards your roommates and your housemates rather than away from them. 
I was able to understand the importance of being honest about my feelings and and talking through things with my roommates. Ready to see how Love Thy Neighborhood could impact your life? Learn more and apply at lovethyneighborhood.org. Hey, welcome back to the Uniacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. Our guest today is Shane Wood. Shane is a professor of New Testament studies and the associate academic dean at Ozark Christian College. He's been recognized as one of the 100 remarkable professors and scholars theology students should know about. He recently published his book, Between Two Trees, Our Transformation from Death to Life. He is an Enneagram coach, and he is a one on the Enneagram. Welcome to the show, Shane. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, we are really excited to talk with you. I guess let's start here. You know, what role does the Enneagram play either in your life story or in the work that you do? It was actually about five years ago whenever I I even describe it as when the Enneagram found me um, at a time where I was going through a lot of unearthing of my own story. And it, it was an incredible tool for me to Um, Not just hear my story, but the nuances of the way my story impacts me in the present. And then being a a college professor at a Bible college, we, I mean, I'm, I'm pastoring students all the time. And so the Enneagram becomes a tool, whether or not I bring it up with them or not, that I'm utilizing to help guide them through their own wounds and their own struggles. So it's, it's played a really significant role in my, my ministry, my life, and even my marriage. Did the type one immediately resonate or was that kind of a journey of discovery for you? Oh, no. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> I actually, I, I, it was around five years ago, I, I had picked up uh, Richard Rohr's book, uh, The Enneagram, A Christian Perspective. And, uh, you know, I'm just reading it. And then I get to the type one and it, it resonated to the point where, it, well, I knew something was happening when I got super angry at his description. <laughs> Hmm. <laughs> and it was like, your root sends anger. And I'm like, no, it's not. And then it's like, don't suppress the anger because you think it's an imperfection. I'm like, no, I don't. You know, and so, <laughs> you know, it, 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 it hurt the way I read it. And so I knew something was something was happening. Yeah. 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 I read recently that the common emotional reaction when people are, are learning about their type is humiliation. Like we just feel like suddenly oh, we're yeah. just naked and exposed in front of everybody and we're embarrassed by what's there. Yeah, that that matter of fact, that that language you just used there, I use it with uh, my my students whenever or my people I'm coaching. It's 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 that moment where the fig leaves seem to drop, you know, using the Genesis chapter three metaphor. But yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, What do you see as the gifts that ones bring to other people and to God? I think, you know, there's a lot of the, you know, more general things that people will say, you know, like ones are, you know, good teachers. Well, not necessarily all ones, but I think. I think what really is helpful is the ones spend so much time criticizing as well as reorganizing their internal world that ones have a gift of bringing the internal into the external that that brings clarity. Say a little bit more about the internal becoming external. Like how, what what does that look like? Yeah, um you know, like like I actually had some some friends recently that we were we were talking about a lot of the different struggles they were they were going with and I just because I spend so much time criticizing what's happening inside of me, um, I was able to look at him and say, actually, I think relationally, there's a couple of boxes that you have. One of them is obligation. One of them is luxury. And every one of your relationships like seems to fit into one of those two categories. The problem is what you're longing for is intimacy, and it doesn't fit in either one of those categories. 
and so it led to really a vulnerable conversation that's gone on for quite a, quite a little while. But the only reason why I was able to even offer that was just this internal criticism of, br- of putting words to how I am wrong. But whenever you bring it out in a holy way, you can be um, a helpful guide for other people of what I found, um, not just from me personally, but but for me from other ones. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. If it's okay, I want to switch gears just slightly. And I want to talk about childhood wounds. And, you know, many ones describe a theme of criticism and conditional love in their childhood. You know, looking back, Shane, is that something that's a part of your story? Does that feel true for you? Yeah, to a certain extent. Like I grew up in a pretty, not not necessarily in my home, but I grew up in a pretty hyper legalistic setting. Um, Like I remember as being a four-year-old being put in the corner for saying, shoot, for saying darn, you know, at Sunday school, like I'm yeah, sitting well, in the we're, we're going to have to edit that out later. Uh, so. <laughs> oh, <okay>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, and it was so confusing. I remember I was actually journaling about this a couple, a uh, couple months ago where I said, I remember sitting in the corner with tears in my eyes, confused. Like for me growing up, the punishments were always clear, but, but what wasn't always clear was why I'm wrong again. It was this constant dance of trying to to find the elusive key to not be in trouble is kind of the way I would describe it. And again, like what, I, what was more confusing was in the settings of our church, that was most prominent. But at home, I could say shoot. And so it was almost it was almost like I right and wrong wasn't always clear, but I knew it was its presence was was palpable. But the punishments were always very clear. I just didn't know why I was wrong again. Yeah, that's so profound. Like that, that just that phrase, like wrong again. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. That's just something about that. So, um, you know, we talked earlier about integrity. Does the desire to have integrity, does that resonate with you? Oh, my, yes. Um, matter of fact, this even this connects with my my childhood as well. And I write about this. So I apologize if this is startling, but I write about this in the book that you mentioned earlier. But I was molested at the age of six. And I went through this process of, of realizing, I remember at the age of nine, it was in a sermon uh, where I realized, oh, what's been happening to me is not okay. It's wrong. And so really this, this strong desire then combined with the legalism, but this, this component was really what solidified my one trajectory uh, because I made a commitment that I would no longer be put in a position of being hurt again by the external world, by making sure that internal, I would perfect myself. So integrity is something in a sense, it's not even just something I long for. It's something I became addicted to because of my wounds. Wow. Yeah. And I would imagine that in those moments, you know, the moment of your realization of oh, what's been happening is wrong, that it would, it would intensify a worldview that says that there's real evil in the world and and that we really need to push back against that. Absolutely. And and I, I think a part of that jarringness for me was that there is real evil in the world and I didn't know I was even a part of it. I didn't separate myself, though, from the act until much later. Yeah. I, I looked at myself as a part of that evil and I hated what was happening to me, but I also was determined to crack this code so that it would never happen to me again and that I would never be a perpetrator of it. Yeah. That's why for me, the definition of perfectionism is, is very specific. It's internal um, and I've settled for the self-berating, but my goal is actually just to not get hit again. Like my, my goal in the self-perfection is to not 
you know, and I use that metaphor pretty frequently. It's like my goal isn't to be perfect as much as it is. I just don't want to get hit again. Yeah. Just to not be punished. Yeah. 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 So we we talked earlier about how for the one settling breeds their deadly sin of anger. What are some of the ways that you've seen anger show up in your life? Oh, my. Yeah. I mean, the internal world of my anger, everything I experience is through that filter of anger. At least that's that's the way it was more common um, over the last you know, 20 years or so. So even at times, whenever I would get like experience really positive things, it was almost like even in a positive thing, the the filter of anger would still push its way to the front where I'm almost like, okay, I, I need you guys to quit celebrating because it, it actually was overstimulating. And whenever I get overstimulated, anger becomes the filter or, or the defense mechanism that helps me. And, and as a result, the internal anger leaks out, especially onto my family that that's been something over the years I've struggled with and until I realized that all that anger really is is a mask for sadness. Evagoras of Pontus, fourth century church father, brings this out. You know, sadness is it's broken expectations. And all that anger is is that sadness of the broken expectations maturing. And so once I began to to realize that's what anger is, I could pull back the mask and really start settling into my heart space to start sorting out the difference between something as you guys talked about this righteous anger or just a reaction to something that I'm broken over. Yeah. The hard thing with sadness though, is that anger in some ways feels like we have more, we have more illusion of control with anger because I can direct my energy and I can steer and I can coerce a situation in a particular way. Sadness is something where I like, I feel quite defenseless and that level of vulnerability is, that's hard. That's just hard work. Absolutely. Anger without without love, and this is where the reformation aspect of the one, but a lot of times anger without love isn't reformation. That courts tyranny. But whenever love is present, but you don't have the anger, it courts abuse. You're only, you're allow, your love keeps you in the position, but your anger is ultimately what confronts um, so ultimately, love and anger together, though, is what can do a positive reformation as opposed to just tearing down load-bearing walls. Yeah. yeah. love And love requires anger. Yeah. that That's appropriate. But the trick is, yeah, if you just start getting drunk off your anger and it's attaching itself to arbitrary morality, mm-hmm. you know, that that's where things are really getting dangerous very yeah. fast. Let me, let me ask you about this. You know, if if God's message for the one is... Because of Christ and because I have made you mine, I have made you good just as you are. What impact does that have on you? You know, is there a time in your life where that message really became very apparent to you and, and impacted you? Yeah, man, that's and that's honestly even hearing you say that, it just I even just kind of had like an exhale. Like that's that's a tough thing as a one to hear. But it, it is. I had this time, and it, again, it was about five years ago when the Enneagram found me and the unearthing of my story was all happening. I say this tentatively because I know my evangelical audiences at times will bristle, but I, I felt like the Lord was saying to me, Shane, you're really good at doing things for me, but, but you're not really do- good at doing things with me, and I just want to be with you. And there was a part of it that my response back was, but why? Why do you want to be with this, like with me? And so it really kind of led me, I have a whole chapter in the book on the wonder of with, where I just wrestle with the fact that God's name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And at the end of Matthew's gospel, he says, I will be with you to the very end of the age. 
And there's something about the definition of the word with that for a one um, is both confusing and comforting at the exact same time. Yeah, because it's not duty-based. No. There's no way to measure it. It's it's a literally an embrace of my presence because I am me, which, you know, that's definitely kind of a, a heart triad issue as well. But, you know, ones, we do not like what we see in our internal mirror. Well, God is after connection, right? Like, so obviously we do want to serve the Lord and we do need to take action. But that's a very one-dimensional relationship if, if your relationship is only defined on the activity that we do together. You know, another aspect is literally just wasting time together. That's that's a key part of a relationship. Yeah, but ones don't like to waste time. Yeah, well. Yeah, every well, moment is scheduled. That's part of their issues. What, yeah. do, I, what do we want me to say? <laughs> that's yeah. right. Yeah, for you, like, how have you seen patience grow in your life as a result of believing God's message to you? Yeah, there's there's a direct connection between the patience that I have with myself internally and then the patience that I exhibit externally. In times whenever I'm struggling because I'm so frustrated with myself, my patience externally seems to be almost obliterated. And this is where a lot of times when I'm talking about the Enneagram or teaching on it, this is where I, I always point back to the, you know, Matthew 22, the, the greatest commandment, you know, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. But then Matthew says, and the second is like the first, the second greatest commandment is like the first, which I've always was like, what? What is like loving your God with everything that you are? And then he says, love your neighbor. And then he says, as yourself. And, and, and that to me is actually the key that unlocks this, this whole passage. Because if you don't know how to love yourself, you won't know how to love your neighbor. And you won't know how to ultimately then love God with all that you are. And so for me, the Enneagram is this internal journey of learning how to love myself so that I'm equipped then to do the, the acts of service or the acts of justice um, or the acts that really demand a lot of patience. So I, I find that patience has grown whenever I'm able to give myself more compassion. It's, it's yeah, the different purpose. It's not just I'm doing this because it's the right thing to do, but I'm, I'm doing this because very thoughtfully, I know this particular activity is the activity God is inviting me into right now. Yeah, where the, the acts then become an, an outworking of a union with God as opposed to a way of trying to accomplish a relationship or secure a relationship with him. Yeah. Okay, I got one last question for you. What is one thing that you would want to say to a younger type one who may be listening? Practice compassion internally first. I actually call this evangelizing my inner critic. I have conversations at times with my inner critic where what I don't what I don't do is approach it with berating because that's its love language. So it just grows. Instead, what, what, I, what I've tried to practice is to first approach it with gratitude, thanking my inner critic because without it, I would not have been able to survive and be where I'm at in the present. But then compassionately saying, but, but I just don't need you to play that role anymore. And there's, there's a part of the inner critic that actually whenever you, whenever you say that to it, it's relieved. And so, so really what I would say to a younger one is if you really want to be reforming of a world, first of all, compassion is the way to do it, not anger. But the where you practice that compassion first is internally. And that, that you'll actually find to be a lot more harder to get results than the external world. 
Mm, that is wonderful. That's yes. good. Yeah. yeah. Well, Shane, you ready to play a game? Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. I'll get my seven going. I'm done. All right. All right. Good, good. <laughs> We're going to help out this one, get a seven going. All right. So when we come back, we will be playing Pick Your Poison with Shane Wood. Stay with us. In today's episode of the Enneacast, we're exploring the story of Type 1. And these folks, they really care about getting things right. And sometimes that can become a focus on perfectionism. To explore this topic more, check out our other podcast, the Love Thy Neighborhood podcast. And specifically, check out episode number 24, where the gospel meets body image. This other girl is behind me and shoves me aside and says, get out of the way, blimp. At some point, being overweight would come up. I've always thought I needed to lose weight, even when I didn't. I came to you for something from the Word of God, and you're talking to me about physical things. But it's really hard to, like, be fearfully and wonderfully made when your face is crooked. My faith is mostly cognitive and mental. I need to attend to my body. You can listen to the Love That Neighborhood podcast by listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts, or by heading over to lovethatneighborhood.org slash LTN podcast. Hey, welcome back to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. And now it's time for Pick your poison. Okay, so our game today is called Pick Your Poison. This is a real game by the company Player 10. You can find it by going to player10.com. Here's how it works. Uh, So Shane, I'm going to give you two scenarios, scenario A and scenario B. You have to pick one of the scenarios. Uh, This is sort of like would you rather, but... Before you give us the answer, Sam and I are going to try to predict which scenario we think you'll choose, whether A or B. Uh, So I'm going to read the scenarios. Sam and I will each pick what we think you'll choose, and then you'll reveal your answer. Uh, If one of us matches your answer, that person gets a point. If we have a round where one of us is so confident in what your answer will be, then we can play our double down card. This gives us two points if we guess right. But if we guess wrong, we lose two points. Best out of five rounds wins. Are you guys ready? I have a one wink, so I'm definitely ready. (laughs) (laughs) I actually have a pretty high one, so we're going to see. But I feel like mostly what's going to happen is we're going to put Shane in terrible situations and he's going to squirm. Even just thinking between you two, I I feel like I'm going to disappoint someone. So this is going to be really exciting. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Well, if you're going to disappoint somebody, disappoint Sam. So, um, okay, here we go. Scenario A. Eat only wet cat food for the rest Ew. of your life. That's super gross. Scenario B, only be able to walk on all fours. What? Scenario <laughs> A is eat only wet cat food for the rest of your life. Scenario B is only be able to walk on all fours. When I heard the first one, I was like, there's no way that there's going to be something worse They're than that. so bad. But I think the all fours thing is worse. And for ones, they... They have to be, you know, 
upright. <laughs> so, so I'm going to go with the wet cat food. I think you can season it. I think you can like saute it. I don't know. You can make it less terrible. But the all force thing, like there's just no respect in that. So that's my, I'm going so with you're a... I'm not doubling down, but I'm going scenario. Yeah, I think, okay, so the thing about being on the all fours thing is everywhere you go in public. Grocery stores. Going to grocery, if you're walking on stage, if you're like, it does not matter. You're on all fours versus the food. It can be like shame food. Like you like (laughs) eat it shamelessly, like in private, like at least like there are options to eat this gross food, not always in the public eye. So I'm also going to go A. Okay. So Shane? Shane. I, to be totally honest, I would choose B. And, oh. and here's the reason why. My In the gut triad, I'm so sensitive about what goes into my stomach and how it's going to make me feel. I can't yeah. imagine, even, even in secret, I can't imagine eating wet cat food for the rest of my life and being content. I'd rather walk the walk of shame on all fours. I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> Man, thanks. Uh, that makes sense. I apologize. <laughs> the real it's loser okay. here is just Shane because he <laughs> yeah. has to walk on all fours yeah. for the rest of his life. Okay, here we go. Round two. Scenario A, permanently sound like you just inhaled helium. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Scenario B, only be able to communicate by shouting as loud as you can. These are terrible. These are both brilliant because they're both about how you communicate. Yeah. Could um, you imagine having the college professor that only screams the entire <laughs> time? Or the college professor Honestly, that okay. always sounds like he's got helium in his so lungs? So I think ones secretly wish they could shout all the time because yeah. of all of the pent up anger and discomfort yeah. and everything. So I think the helium thing... I don't think he's going to go for it, but I do think that he would prefer shouting because that's secretly what he wants to do. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> so that's what I'm thinking. I think you're probably right, and I think your logic is all right, but... For the sake just, of the game. Just for the sake of the game. <laughs> so I'm going to go scenario A, helium. You're going to go scenario B, yeah. shouting. Yeah. Shane? Scenario B, and for the exact reasons that Sam said. I mean, I, I mean, if you ever heard me teach anyway or preach, I basically yell anyway, and I wish I could do it all the time. So, <laughs> but yeah, definitely scenario B. So, Sam, you have one point. Yeah. Okay, I have zero. I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. Round three. Scenario A: Have a full-sized elephant trunk in place of your nose. Okay. Scenario B: Be required to steal from every tip jar you see. Oh, one is about like social isolation, and the other is about it's just bad morality. Like. <sighs> This is hard. I don't think that he could do the stealing thing. Like, just physically, I don't think he has it in him to, like, steal from a tip yeah. jar. So I yeah. have I have to go A just by default. Despite, so you're going to go A? Despite how obnoxious that would be, I think the alternative, I don't know that he could do. But maybe yeah. I'm wrong. Yeah. Okay, I am also going to go A, but I'm also going to double down. Oh, to so get I'm more points. I'm doubling down on A, and I'm really hoping, because I've got zero right now, I'm really hoping... <laughs> So, Shane? Scenario A. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I'd, awesome. I'd rather inflict pain on myself than to have to do that, especially the tip jar. I mean, that's just, that's low, man. <laughs> yeah. I should have doubled down. And now we are tied. And that How? is called strategy. I thought you have a point ahead of me. No, because I had zero and now I have two. Oh. And you had oh, one, yeah. so. Okay. Yeah. 
Okay, round four. Scenario A is fight a kangaroo with your bare hands. Okay. <laughs> Scenario B, approach every old person you see, steal their cane, and run away laughing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm doubling down on A for sure. You're because, doubling down on A? Yeah, okay. because, because I think that Shane could be up for a fight. I don't know. I kind of like, think he'd be into it. Yeah, I think he'd be, be like, excited. hey, well, go punch that cause kangaroo. Because it, it implies having to travel to like Australia or somewhere. So yeah. I think that he would be interested in travel. Wait, what does that have to do with it? Because you have like, I think that he'd be interested in traveling. I yeah. don't know. Okay. But okay. I think he has a respect for the elderly. So I don't think that he would want to run away stealing their cane in a fit of laughter. So I'm doubling down on A. I am also going to go A. Okay. I just think at the end of the day... The idea of him stealing a cane from an elderly person <laughs> and run away laughing yeah. just sounds like the worst. Yeah. Yeah. So Shane, which one? Scenario A. Yeah, give me yeah. Give, give me a fight with a kangaroo. They're mean, man. So <laughs> it, even. That kangaroo yeah. that kangaroo had it coming. <laughs> <laughs> no, the elderly. I mean, it's like t- taking their cane. I mean, they fought. No way. I, c- I couldn't do that. I'd rather fight an, a kangaroo and take a black eye. So I so Shane, have and, and four so, points. Yeah. So Sam, you've got four points. I've got three. All right. This one is a tricky one. This okay. is the trickiest of all the ones we have done. Okay. 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 Scenario A, be woken up every day by a bucket of ice water. Scenario okay. B... Run barefoot across a football field covered in Lego pieces. Okay. (laughs) I don't know. And here's why. Because if he's a nine wing, then he can sleep well. And it might be beneficial for him to be woken up by a bucket of ice water every day. And also, if he's got this weird, like, relationship with pain and anger, then he might secretly enjoy running across a football field with Legos. So I don't know which to choose. That got weird real fast, <laughs> It Sam. did. Yeah, that was where my thoughts were. <laughs> um, so I'm going to go bucket of ice water because I don't think that he would enjoy running across the football field. Maybe he already wakes up easily, so it won't be that jarring. I thought you were going to say, maybe that's already how he wakes up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's life. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Maybe that's his thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to go bucket of ice water. So you're going scenario A. I yeah. was, even before you spoke, already going to go to scenario B. Really? I think that being woken up that way would be so alarming and so jarring that he would be frustrated and cranky right out of the gate, and he would not enjoy that, versus... The football field of Legos, that's a one-time thing. You do it, you run across the field, Yeah, it stinks, you survive, but you're all the tougher for it. Yeah, I guess by like the 30-yard line, your feet have become like numb to the pain. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> your feet are in shards anyway. I so can't what's run it 100 yards. So I think that's why I've secretly, that's like So you my, can't run the 100 yards. I can't. Definitely can't <laughs> so across. That's yeah. why I'm like, give me the ice water. <laughs> I don't like physical activity. <laughs> I love the idea that you would take it every day indefinitely. You would do the ice water versus the Legos once. That's great. Because it requires physical exertion. <laughs> I don't like doing that. So it's, it's my nine energy You're like, coming oh, out. no, the kryptonite of the nine. <laughs> um, so Shane, put us out of our misery. Tell us what yeah, you Yeah, which choose. one, Shane? Scenario B. And it's it's exactly what Jesse said. Absolutely. I don't want to ang- wake up angry every day. And yeah, it's a one-time thing. Run across it with Legos. I'd be angry, but I could, I could shake it off. So, Sam, 
you and I have tied. Yay. So we are even Stevens uh, on even this game. Even Stevenson is yeah. what I like to e- say. No, wait. That, <laughs> how did you brand that so quickly? <laughs> uh, yeah, so, well, Shane, enjoy your life with all of these poisons. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Okay, so uh, now it is time for listener questions. Okay, this question comes from underscore Ellen Ruth underscore. How can ones not be hypocrites by expecting others to be perfect when they themselves are not? <laughs> I saw that I was like that was kind of a loaded question there, uh, Ellen Ruth. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, we are hypocrites, <laughs> uh, and and you know, and that's it's it's actually healthy to accept that 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 the perfection that we're longing for. Whenever it's behavior uh, measured, it, that's that's actually the the fool's gold, because uh, as you guys mentioned earlier, Matthew five forty eight, you know, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. What that reveals to me is that we're not actually desiring inside of the heart of the one. We're not desiring perfect behavior. We're desiring God. We're desiring Him and closeness with Him. Um, so the reality is that the very perfection that it is that we're trying to berate ourselves into is unattainable, but he isn't. Um, and that's because he moved towards us first. So we are hypocrites. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I've got a lot of one energy and I think that where I can really derail is in the times where I'm really frustrated with myself, but I can't admit that I'm frustrated with myself. And so I start putting all my expectations on other people to kind of deflect, you know, I'm tired of beating up on myself. So I start beating up on other people instead. But what I find is any of those moments where I slow down enough and I'm patient enough to then express to somebody, hey, I'm scared or hey, I'm angry or hey, I'm really disappointed with myself. And I, you know, I take time to verbalize that. Then what happens is that I'm showing myself a certain level of compassion and honesty and authenticity that then it becomes very, very simple and very easy to give that to other people. But if I'm just running and gunning, you know, and I'm not slowing down, I get very narrow focused and it's very easy for me to then start beating up on other people. Okay, so this next question comes from SM Whiting 0802. Any tips on how to build spontaneity and a sense of adventure? Ooh, that's a good question. Mm -hmm. Wow, that is a great question. Um, One of the things that I've done is actually sought friendship with sevens. It's mimesis. It's imitation of another that actually is the beginning of of behavior movement. Um, And a lot of the times it's just the categories that sevens think through the world through just don't exist in my mind. I mean, so it's like a muscle that's gone into atrophy. So a lot of the times I, I put myself in a position by somebody that is whimsical, that it's it's starting to work out a new muscle that I just have simply forgotten that I had. I think it's helpful for ones to remember that fun is glue in relationships, you know, to to have pleasurable, joyful experiences together you know, really brings a lot of depth to relationships. And in fact, a lot of times if you really go out and you and you have fun with somebody and you laugh together, then you when you bring up something that's that's kind of intimate, you know, that that per- other person will go there with you. Something about like losing control and laughing together mm-hmm. and goofing off and being childlike is actually very intimate. And so in doing that, it invites a certain intimacy in the relationship where it really positions both people to be in a position to 
you know, to grow and change and have greater depth between them. And yeah. Yeah. It's funny that you said childlike because the first thought that I had was spend time with kids because they are full of spontaneity and full of adventure and spending, spending time with kids, not in like a babysitting way, monitoring behavior, but in a way that's like, what do you want to do? You want to draw? Okay, let's draw something. And then just tapping into that creative energy or that uh, um, imagination that, that ones can kind of lose along the way, I think it can be really beneficial. Well, Shane, it's been good, man. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you. I, I honestly really appreciate it. This has been a delight. Thanks to our special guest today, Shane Wood. You can learn more about Shane's writing as well as his new book, Between Two Trees, Our Transformation from Death to Life, by going to shanejwood.com. That's Shane, the letter J, wood.com. As always, thank you to our friends at Crosspoint Ministry who trained us in the Enneagram. You can learn more about their work at crosspointministry.com. Our show is a production of Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood provides social action internships supported by Christian community for young adults ages 18 to 30. Come serve with us for a summer or a year. Grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. Today's episode was produced by myself, Sam Stevenson, and Rachel Zabo. Engineering and editing by The Rachel Zabo. Music for today's episode comes from Murphy DX. I'm Sam Stevenson. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community. Mm-hmm.